This is part three of Called, so uh, let's just pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that our hearts are good soil. And Father, I thank you as I bring the word today, Lord, that the word is planted on good soil and it takes root and it goes down deep and it bears amazing fruit. And Father, I pray the same for myself as well as everybody else as we all listen to the word. Lord, as we listen to you and your heart and your, your passion, Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the, the word taking firm root in my heart as well. Father, it's our desire, it's our desire to serve you with all our heart, with all our mind. Lord, to love you, to love you because you are our king you are our God and you're our master. You are the one that we serve. You are the one that we follow. You are the one that we live for. You are the one who provides everything for us. You are our everything. You are our everything. And Lord, I just pray, pray today that each one of us you know, encounters you that hears you, word just dropped into our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, so part one, uh, we looked at, so this is a series that's outworking the 2017 vision, part of it, and it's about increased capacity. It's about making room. We need to make room for a growing family. So we saw that we belong, we're called to belong to the King of Kings, Romans 1.6, and we're also called to belong to one another, and that's in 1 Corinthians 12. And we've also been given gifts, and we don't own the gifts, but the gift owns us. It's, you know, the Spirit lives in us. It's the gifts that we have been given, and, and we looked at the parable of the talents. And then last week... Last week, I listened to the message um, at home and then I sent Alan a text saying, I've taken the king's shilling. Wow. And um, if any of you have, if you've missed last week, you know, I just want to encourage you, if you've missed any of them, to please listen to all of them. But I thought that was a fantastic analogy about um, being, are you press ganged? You know, do we serve? Are we being forced to serve against our will? Or are we just volunteers who serve at times of need, um, and, but serve when it suits to protect um, your own, your own thing? And it's really a choice. It, it's an independence, isn't it? Or are you signed up? Are you 100% signed up? Have you taken the king's shilling and said, I'm going to go wherever the king sends me. I'm going to go across the world. I like that analogy that lots of these people had never been. You know, these were farmers. These were, you know, people who'd never had the opportunity to travel. And suddenly there they were on a boat going to the, to the far ends of the world. You know, so um, they chose to be owned. They chose to be owned by the king. 
Um, they were free, yet they were slaves because they'd said, I will, I will go, I will do what you've called me to do. And there's a conviction in their heart, isn't there? There's a conviction, I am going to serve no matter what. They weren't going to suddenly stop when things got rough. No, they were going to keep going because I've taken the king's shilling and I'm going to keep serving. I thought that was a fantastic analogy. So we've heard that we're called. We've heard, you know, how do we serve? What's, you know, how, what have we chosen to do? And I just really felt that God wanted us to look at the heart of a servant today. You know, because Alan and I, or, or a leader, any leader can stand at the front here and go, you need to serve. In fact, God can go, you know, I've called you to be a servant. But actually, he's also given us free will. He's given us that ability to choose what we do. And actually, God all the time is looking for what is our heart attitude. What is our heart in this situation? Because God, God wants us to choose. He wants us to have a heart that chooses to serve him. I can't make you serve. Alan can't make me serve. You know, the person sitting next to you can't make you serve. It has to come from the heart. It has to be a heart attitude. And um, some of you will have heard part of Pastor Allen's testimony of how when he first uh, got saved and he went to the hide, um, he, his first job he was given was to sweep the leaves not to do anything else. He was given a broom, it was put in his hand and he was sent out because this place, this house, it was an amazing property uh, that was given to the ministry to use and the front drive was 1.1 miles long and the back drive was 0.9 miles long. The whole thing was lined by trees but then when you came up to the main house there were trees, 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 trees everywhere. And on a windy day, the whole thing was covered with leaves. Now, in my little house in comparison in Stratford, you know, we've got one or two trees. And we go, oh, we've got to sweep again the leaves each year. But these were loads of trees. And the first job Alan was given is, you need to sweep the leaves. You know, it's a menial task, isn't it? It's a low task. You think about, you know, when you first serve on a ship, if you think about Pirates of the Caribbean or whatever films you've watched, you know, you have the young lad, what does he do? He has to swab the deck, doesn't he? He has the, the most menial task to do. But it's something to do with our heart. But God was working on Pastor Allen's heart. Will you do anything for me? Because it's not just about me, it's about serving one another. It's about doing things for one another, but not just one another in this room. It's for all those who walk through the door. It's for all those who walk into your house. It's for all those that you encounter in the workplace. See, Jesus served. He had, that's why he was here. He came to serve you and me. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, made himself human, came to earth, 
Why? To die on a cross. Why? Because he says, the joy set before me, he yes. went. Yes. To him it was joy yes. to go to the cross. Because he knew he was winning the victory for you and for me. And you know, sometimes there are things that God asks us to do in serving that enables the victory to be won for somebody else. Mm -hmm. But we need to be willing to lay our lives down. We need to be willing to give and we need to be willing to do the menial tasks. You know, to some people, to walk into a room where chairs are out of order is, is... they find it quite difficult. You know, if you're the kind of person who likes everything neat, you know, your first impression, that's, that's, that's what you walk away with. You know, and if you come into somewhere that's disorganized and disjointed and not quite right, you don't feel at ease, do you? And sometimes we're called to serve just with straightening chairs. Why? Because it it creates that environment that somebody wants to come into, even if it's just the one. See, God wants us to have a heart to serve. And he's not going to raise us up. He's not going to ask us to do other things for him unless we have that heart that serves and we need to ask God for that heart we need to ask God for that compassion to serve one another to serve each other and I really felt this morning to look at gentleness to look at the fruit of gentleness and just to pick some things out from that. And gentleness, depending on what version of the Bible that you have, in the King James or New King James, it's referred to as meekness. And this is all about humility. So welcome to church this morning. (laughs) Because God wants us to be humble. He wants us to have a heart of humility. And this gentleness that speaks of humility is the opposite of pride. And we need to hate pride. We need to banish pride from our lives. And pride pops up in so many different places that we're not even aware of, you know, and I think on a, very regularly I ask the Lord, you know, just in case there's any pride in me, I will repent. <laughs> because I don't want there to be any pride in my life. Because if there is, then what I do comes from me and not from God. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want there to be, I don't want to be pride, proud person. But meekness is not weakness. It enables believers to be slow to to give or take offence. And I just want to have a quick look at Moses. We're going to look at two people. We're going to look at Moses and then we're going to look at Jesus. But turn to Numbers 12. Because something was said about Moses. It was said that he was more humble than anybody else. And there is a small story here 
Numbers 12. And it says, uh, starting in verse 1, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. And then he spoke to them. Uh, Verse 9, the anger of the Lord burnt against them. And then we hear that Miriam's skin was leprous. And then in verse 13, so Moses cried out to the Lord, please God, heal her. Why, Why was Moses called more humble than anyone else? And I think there are some keys here in this account to look at. So first of all, I want you to notice verse 4. It says, at once the Lord called Moses, Aaron and Miriam. Aaron and Miriam weren't in another place to Moses. They were in the same place. And it could be something like here, where Moses is up the front speaking or maybe doing something because of the role that he has. And they're sitting down there going, I could do that. I could do that just as well as him. Why is he being called to do that? And I think there's lots of times in the church where we look at different people and we go, I could do that. Why aren't I doing that? Why aren't I given an opportunity to do that? Why is she the pastor's favourite? Why is she always being asked? Do you see? It always happens. Miriam and Aaron were brother and sister of Moses. Somehow it's always the closest. See, remember, God, the enemy wants to bring division within the body all the time. You have to see what's going on above, not just what's going on here in the natural. Because the enemy wants to bring division and wants to go, hey, you could do that. Why aren't you doing that? Why haven't you been chosen to do that? At once, the Lord called them out. But I also want you to notice something else. Moses, not once did he speak against his accusers. Not once in this passage did he say to the Lord, hey, look what Aaron and Miriam have been saying. Not once did he speak against them. In fact, his heart was to cry out for them and cried out for Miriam to be healed. But I want you to to take a moment and think about Moses. See, Moses was trained in Pharaoh's court. He was trained to lead. He had servants. He knew what it was like to have servants at his beck and call to get to, to wash, to feed. Everything, you name it, to train him when he needed. Oh, I fancy being trained to fight today. 
you know, can you come and help me? He had everybody at his beck and call. And then he went out. He killed a man, didn't he? And he fled. And he went out into the desert. And then we see that for another 40 years he served his father-in-law and was a shepherd. See, something had to happen in Moses' heart for him to become the most humble man. See, if I was, I don't know what you'd be like, but imagine, you know, if you've been brought up in Pharaoh's court, I think you'd be quite a proud young man, wouldn't you? I'd be expecting people to do things for me. But something had to happen in his life for him to become the person that God wanted to lead the whole of the Israelites. He had to have a change of heart. And so for another 40 years, he served and he learned to serve so that he was at the point where he would do whatever God asked him to do. And he was obedient. So here we are in this situation where he's been given the responsibility of leading the whole of the Israelite community. And we're not talking about 100, 200, 300 people. We're talking about thousands and tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people that he had to lead. Yet... He didn't go, you know, I'm Pharaoh. What are you speaking? Why are you saying these things against me? He didn't once, not once, did he say anything against his accusers. Instead, he cried out for Miriam's healing. You know, this gentleness, humility, or meekness, it is a strength because it enables you to remain silent in those times of testing so that you do not retaliate, so that you do not shout back, so that you do not have a go at somebody else. But instead, your heart, we're told, Jesus says, pray for your enemy. Pray for those that hurt you. You know, Alan and I, at the end of the day, you know, we've been hurt by more people inside the church. And I mean the church in a whole. I'm not talking about here, necessarily. Than, than outside. Because the enemy always wants to come and bring division. But 1 Peter 3, verse 8 to 9, says this. Um, I'm going to read it in the NIV first. It says, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. And in the New King James, it says, finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. I've just noticed now in, in this verse, I didn't notice it before, but it says, you are called. <laughs> this series is called. <laughs> it says, you were called. You were called to this. 
You are called to live in harmony. You are called to not repay evil with evil, but to have compassion for one another, to love one another. We're just going to go over to Philippians, Philippians 2, where we have that uh, very uh, famous passage about Jesus. Because this is about our heart. Starting in verse 1 again. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. 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 You know, I was thinking, Alan kept talking about joy, but it says here in verse 2, they make my joy complete by being like-minded. So he went to the cross. It was full of joy set before him. But he's also saying, hey guys, will you be like-minded? Will you see the joy set before you by serving and by giving? And will you lay your life down just as he laid his life down for one another? Vine's Dictionary defines meekness as uh, to be the opposite of self-interest. So this gentleness, meekness, it's it's the opposite of self-interest. It's looking to others. It's looking to what are the needs of others. We're told, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. This is servanthood. Jesus didn't look at his own interests. All the time it was, Father, how do you want me to serve today? When he went to the Lord, when he spent time with God and he was praying, he always wanted to do the will of the Father. He always wanted to speak what God was telling him and to do what God was telling him to do. That means we have to lay ourselves down. We have to keep our flesh dead where it is. Stay down. So that we live for him and what he's asking us to do. 
so that we serve him. See, Jesus humbled himself. But we're to lift others up. Yes, yes, that's right. We're to lift others up. And we do that by serving. Do you know, it is one of the most humbling things to be served by somebody else. I remember when I had Joseph, a mum in the church came up to me and she had three children and her youngest was just going to playgroup. And she came up to me and she said, Claire, I know what it's like to have three children and I would like to come and serve you one morning a week. And I was like, "Uh, okay, um, what do I do with this? Do I let her? See, in our culture, in our Western culture, it's so unnatural to let people serve you. Mm. You know, going to India, we had a very interesting conversation in India with one of the ladies because you let people serve you because it gives them a job to do. There isn't the, uh, there's no uh, benefit system, nothing like that. And if somebody doesn't work, if they don't sweep the roads or they don't do just little tiny things, they don't have any money and they don't live. And so most people, if they can, they have a servant. They have somebody who comes, who does something in the house, even if it's just wiping the floors, because it gives somebody a job. But in our Western culture, we're not used to it. And when she said to me, I want to serve you, I was like, really? And she, you know, I said yes. It was very humbling. I actually found it really difficult. But I said yes, and she would come once a week. And she'd come, and she'd came. She'd take her shoes off in my porch and put her slippers on, and she brought a house coat. She put a house coat on. I was like, oh, I'm quite impressed with this. <laughs> and she, I would be with Joseph, who was, um, you wouldn't think it now, but out of my three children, he was the worst eater. He wanted, it was, anyway, but anyway, he was very time-consuming. And um, she would just do stuff around my house. And then she'd come to me at the end, and she'd say, Claire, have you got any sewing things that I need done? You know, any buttons that need sewn or hems? And I was like, "Um, yes, I do. So she said, I'll take them home with me. And she took them home with her to do. And she only did this for me for about, um, for about three or four months. But do you know, she was such an amazing blessing to me. And this is just, you know, nobody special, just like you or me, just going, what can I do? And like Simone said, what have I got in my hand? What could I actually do with what I have? And she looked and she saw, I, I wasn't asking, you know, I wasn't a pastor at the time, I wasn't, you know, uh, what were, I don't think, we might have been life group leaders at the time, there was nobody special, but she saw something, a need, and she humbled herself and said, I want to serve you. She looked to the interests of somebody else. Mm, she, could have, she could have gone, 
Oh, finally, my third child is in playgroup. I've got all my mornings free. I can go and have coffee with so-and-so. I can go and go to the gym or I can do this. But she didn't choose to do that. She chose to say, Claire, can I come and serve you? It's very humbling when somebody does that. But she looked to help. And this is part of this gentleness. It's part of humility. It's part of, of meekness. It's part of serving one another. And we have to learn to put self aside so that we love one another. Just look at another person here. Um, let's go to Acts 18. Verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervour and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So this man, Apollos, he was a learned man, has thorough knowledge of the scriptures. So remember, this is not the New Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written. Okay, So he had a thorough knowledge of the Old Testament, the scriptures that they had. But he also had heard about Jesus and about the baptism of John, so he could teach some of that. But it wasn't full, what he had. But he humbled himself. He humbled himself, and when Priscilla and Aquila invited him to their home, he went so that he could learn more more than what he knew so that he could then go and be much powerful in what he had. And sometimes I think, and it's very easy for us when we've sat in church for years and years and years when the preacher gets up and starts to talk about something, go, oh, I know this. I've heard this before. Or, or when they get down to go, I could have preached that so much better than they did. And believe you me, that has been said. But what is our heart when we sit here on a Sunday morning? Is our heart, I'm ready to hear the Lord. You see, you'll always find Alan and me with a piece of paper or iPads open, ready to take notes. It doesn't matter who is preaching on a Sunday morning. It doesn't matter if it's somebody that we've trained. It doesn't matter who it is. We are ready because I'm waiting for those nuggets of gold to scribble down and write down and go, yeah, that's awesome. That's right. 
because we go away and we forget. Mm -hmm. And I'm called to be a lifelong learner. Mm -hmm. And it's part of humility. We are to receive the word humbly, mm -hmm. it says. It says in James 1.21, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. You know, I want to be that person that is yielded to the word. Change me. Show me where I'm wrong. Show me something new. James 3.7 says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and Sincere, And in the New King James, it says, without partiality and without hypocrisy. If you know, those of you who know me, I don't like to quote partial scriptures. I'd rather stand up and read a chunk of scripture because we can so easily take scripture out of context because we want it to say what we want it to say. But I want to serve my God fully with what it really says and not just take a scripture out of context. I want my life to be submitted to the word. You know, one of the other things that happens in church, um, if we just go back to uh, Philippians 2 and just read a little bit further on, uh, verses 12 to 16, I'll just read it from here for time. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. There should be no complaining or arguing or grumbling in the house of God. See, we don't serve a fair God. We serve a just God. And sometimes, now, I had an issue with this a lot when I was growing up because I always wanted everything to be fair. When there's two children in a family, you take something and you cut it in half and usually you get it pretty equal. But when there's three children and you take something and you cut it in three, often one bit's bigger and one bit's smaller and there's a bit in the middle. And there is that thing of, well, that's not fair, that's not right. And that can happen in church, can't it? You know, that's not fair. Why do I have to serve again? That's not fair. Why do I have to clean the toilets again? That's not fair. Why is that happening again? Do you ever think like that? I'm not asking for arms up. <laughs> but if, if you, you know, am I the only one? <laughs> there is that, it's a, you know, come on. Self is a big thing that wants to have control. 
We don't serve a fair God. We serve a just God. And that's why it doesn't matter. Do you remember the the parable, the story about the the man who went out and got workers? And the workers who started work in the morning got paid exactly the same as the people who only worked for an hour at the end of the day. Do you remember that? See, we don't serve a fair God. We serve a just God. That's why somebody can get saved on their deathbed and still enter glory. Because we serve a just God who says, if you repent, then I am a just God who forgives. Would we deny them? No. It doesn't matter. We don't serve a fair God. We should, whatever's laid before us, we should serve because it's a just God that we serve. And... You know, God sees what we do in secret. He sees what we do in secret and he rewards us. See, one of the fantastic things that happened for us as a family one year is, you know, my dad, this is before mobile phones, this is uh, before emails and stuff. My dad would go off to Australia for six weeks at a time. And I remember, do you remember those blue folded airmail letters on that really thin paper? And I was given, because it was folded in three, my mum had one section, Clive had one, Andy had one, I had one, and then my mum had the final one, so we didn't know what she said. (laughs) Uh, And she would fold in and, um, you know, we'd post it off and we'd do this every week so that my dad got a letter. And, you know, it talks about anybody who lays down mother and father and brother and sister We were laying our dad down. He was laying his family down to go and take the gospel out to other countries, to go and, you know, take revival, because that's what he was carrying all those years ago. And one year, um, he was invited to go and minister at a conference in Canada. And um, a millionaireess, phoned dad up and said, I want to pay for your whole family to fly out to Canada. I want to give you a two-week holiday in a log cabin. I want to give you $1,000 spending money, and I want to give you a car, and I will pay for all the petrol. See, God sees what you do, and he rewards you, you know. And But if we grumble and complain, and if we go, where's the heart in that? There's no heart. God's not going to reward a grumbling and a complaining heart. There's no joy where there's grumbling and complaining. God rewards those who, with joy, serve. With joy, lay down their lives for the one that they serve, their master. James 5, 9. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. These aren't always scriptures that we like to hear, are they? But, you know, no grumbling, no complaining. You know, we, Alan and I say this to one another. We go, are you complaining? Yeah. Are you grumbling? Yeah. You know? What, and that's why, what are you thankful for? Yes. I'll get it in everywhere. What are you thankful for? Because it gets you, your eyes off of the circumstances. Um, When Alan and I were first uh, starting out in ministry, there was a word that was given to Alan. And the word, Pastor Alan, the word was, the more humble you are, 
the more God will use you. And that is a word that we have lived with constantly. I think every year it comes up more than once. And we remind ourselves, the more humble we are, the more God will use us. The more we're willing to lay our lives down, the more God will use us. So I can stand at the front, Pastor Alan can stand at the front, other leaders can stand at the front and say, we need this, we need that, we need the other. But actually, God's looking at our hearts. He's looking at our hearts. Are we willing to serve? Are we willing to serve him? You know, I started at the beginning and I said, for the joy set before Jesus, he went to the cross. Why? Because he knew the victory he was winning. He was going to win. And he's now won that victory. And God's saying to us today, for the joy set before you, will you serve me? Will you go where I've called you to go? Will you do what I've called you to do? Will you look at what I've placed within your hand, those talents that I've placed within your hand? Everybody can sweep a floor. Everybody can pick up rubbish from the floor or out in the car park. There's so many things that each one of us can do. And the question is, will we serve our brothers and sisters? Will we serve one another? It's a question of the heart. Will we allow that fruit of gentleness to grow in our lives, that fruit of meekness? You see, if we want to be more like Jesus if we want to have the character of Jesus, if we want to be more and more and more like him, then this is one of the fruits we need to allow to grow in our lives. Because he's looking for those who are willing. He's not looking for those who will go, oh, hold on a minute, I need to go away and have a a five-hour prayer meeting. You know, if you've taken the king's shilling, then, then you go where you're told to go and you respond yes sir and that's what he's looking for he's looking for those who are obedient and so today as you're just before the Lord just you know if you know there's pride in your heart if you know there's times where you've said some of the things that I've said here this morning why why are they doing it are they the pastor's favourite or I could do just as good a job as they can. Why aren't I doing it? You know, or why me? Why do I have to pick up rubbish off the floor? Just, just if you know, if God's convicting you at this moment of pride in your heart, I just want you to repent. That's what God says. It's not hard. It's not difficult. It's just repent. Repent means to turn around and go in the complete opposite direction. Say, Lord, I, forgive me for pride in my heart. Forgive me for not responding correctly in that situation. Forgive me for thinking myself better than my brother and sister in the Lord. And just repent quickly. And we know that when we repent, he forgives. And he says to you, I forgive you. I forgive you. And Father, I just pray for each one of us now 
just want to hold your hands up to the Lord. I just pray for each one of us now for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit. A fresh anointing of your Spirit working in our lives. And Lord, I pray that where there has been pride, that you will grow gentleness. That we will draw on that gentleness and that humility. Lord, that we won't miss those opportunities to serve. And Father, I pray that you show each one of us what it is that you've put into our hands and how we can serve one another. Just like the lady who served me when I had Joe. Father, show us how to put each other, to put one another before ourselves. I thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you've called me. You've called me, that you've given me talents, and that you want me to serve you. What a privilege. What a joy it is to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.